Welcome to already the 11th episode of The Normal World, a podcast where former elite athletes share their stories, not so much about their sport careers, but about how they found their way back into normal life. Today's guest is Nicole, and together we'll dive into the world of squash. We'll talk about why Nicole started playing squash and her journey to becoming a squash professional, why she decided to quit, what impact it had on her life, and how she used the lessons she learned through squash in her life after elite sports. I'm Annalite Bakker, and welcome to the normal world of Nicole Bummer. I'm very good, thank you very much. Thank you so much for being a guest in my podcast. Thank you. I'd love to talk to you about your squash career, because that's what we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. And uh, my first question is, how did you start with playing squash? As a child, I was always playing outdoors, outside. I was kind of a tomboy, always being out with the boys and um, just loved it. And then later on, I played a little bit of tennis. and. Already there I could see, you know, I was advanced without ever having been played. I just had a good feel for the ball. And then later on, the boyfriend of my older sister, he was a tennis pro and he took us to a squash court somewhere. And this was my first introduction with squash. And I thought it was fun. And how old were you back then? I was about 15, I think, 15 or 16. It's quite late to start Yeah, it was sport. quite late. Yeah, yeah it's true. And then after that time, I, I think I went to look for a club and that was in Amstelveen near my school. I went over there and this is where I saw two girls playing on center court and they were number three and number two at the time. And their father, who was a South African, he was a squash coach over there. And when I saw them playing, I was really so inspired and I really loved it and I thought this is what I want to do. So I went back every day after school on my bike with my squash racket and this is how I met Wiebe, Wiebe Monsma. And I was hitting balls on my own and he would come and, uh, and just give me some advice or teach me how to play different shots and, and this is how it started. So I stayed there for a year, yeah. And what did you like so much about the sport? What specific feeling did it give you? I'm not sure whether it was really the sport, because I think I liked every sport, still today, any ball, racket sport I like. But I think it was, when I was over there, it was the attention. It was a small community, you know, I, I was seen, so I got attention and... Uh, you were good at something. And I was good at something, so, you know, it motivated me to come back. And that's how it, you know, it started. Just yeah. you with your record after school, yeah. practicing. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So really, your intrinsic motivation was really high, I assume. Yeah, I just loved it. I just, yeah. I, I, I was most happy there. I mean, this was the only thing really that I wanted to play and, and to run after the ball. And and yeah, I loved, loved to be on my own there, you know, doing the thing and then talking to the coach and... Uh, getting this attention, seeing, you know, top players, and it was all very close. It's, it's not like football that you cannot get close to them. So I think that's, uh, that's what caught me. 
And did you already have a goal in mind back then or was it just for fun and... Uh... No, I had no goal at all. It was just purely, you know, the love for playing, yeah. the love for the game. And that only changed later on, but I never, never thought, you know, this I would make my career out of this, no. And at some point it became more serious, I assume. Yes. Can you maybe elaborate a bit more about how that mm -hmm. went? So I was there for one year and then um, I was training, I saw good squash, um, I saw the community and they had like a few tournaments. So I enrolled in a tournament and um, my first tournament I remember um, I played and I lost in the first round and then you go to the plate, it's called the plate, the mm -hmm. loser's round. And I won that plate and I think I got a prize and you know, they said, you know, I come to the stage and winning this prize. And I was unbelievably proud <laughs> and I thought I was really, you know, very good at it. And, uh, and then there was somebody at their club um, who saw me and thought that I was talented. And he said to me, uh, I think you should come and, uh, and play in Amsterdam and uh, it's a good club and uh, you might be able to progress even more. So, and that's what I did. So then I went to Amsterdam and started playing in, in the club. Were you still studying or going to high school? or? I was, I think right then I was 17, almost 18. I think I, I nearly finished high school. Okay. It's a big commitment to go to Amsterdam every day to practice. Yeah, but I was living on uh, between Amsterdam and Amstelveen. Oh. So I was in school in Amstelveen, so it, it wasn't very much different. So I went over to that club and I think I left home when I was about 18 and I just rented a little room just next to the club. I didn't have a shower so I would just, I would live in, in the club. I mean it's called Dickie Squash, you know, a lot of squash players still remember it. But it was like my, my home and this is where it all started. This is how I started to improve, learn, you know, got to meet different coaches, uh, starting to play more tournaments, league. And it went really fast, actually. So you finished high school and then you rented a room and moved out from your parents' house and you combined that with, well, a lot of hours of practicing. How did your day look like? How did you do that? Well, I made money because I, I finished my high school and I went to Schroefers at the time and I did a, like a diploma in typing. So I went to Uitzendbureaus, uh, so they... I got part-time jobs, so I worked part-time, made a bit of money, and in the afternoon I went to the squash club. And I knew already then, I remember, that I was, you know, cycling through, you know, companies, through the street and saw company buildings, and I thought, I wouldn't like to have a life like that and be enclosed in every day sitting behind a computer or sitting down, and I want to have a more free life. So, but I, I, I worked part-time and then in the afternoon I trained. And you said that the goal with squash came a bit later. Was that the moment you realized what you wanted to achieve with squash or not yet? No, still no. Still no, still no. for fun and... Yeah, I was a little bit more serious. I, never, I didn't think about that I could become a champion or a professional, but I thought... I could maybe, you know, work part-time and, and see about squash and it came closer, the idea, but I wasn't very sure. I still didn't know what I wanted to do and I wanted to travel. This is what I knew. 
And then uh, I think it was late 18, and there was a big tournament in my club and there were also foreign coaches coming. So I had a really nice time, a really great tournament. And my parents, they sort of, now didn't pressurize me, but helped me to think about what I wanted to do with my future. And I didn't want to study. Uh, I also knew that I was not going to work part-time forever and play squash. Um, so my mom said, why don't you try and, and apply for a job at KLM as a stewardess? So I did. Um, the only thing I knew is that ah, that could be nice because I would like to travel. But the thought of having to wear this blue outfit <laughs> and high heels and uh, I knew that was not my cup of tea. <laughs> so, but I sort of not thought, think about that. I thought, you know, I'll see what's happening. And then I was invited on the Monday for uh, a job interview. And then the weekend before we had this big tournament and then I met this Australian uh, uh, coach and uh, it was like a, a sort of a, a little love affair. So it was nice, I was young and I was enjoying it. And, uh, but with him, you know, we trained a couple of times and we, we talked a lot and he said to me, uh, you know, or with him suddenly I, I came to the decision, you know, he believes in me and maybe I could go for it. So I woke up Monday morning and without telling anyone, I just called 15 minutes before my job interview. I called them and I had, they had reserved a room at the World Trade Center and I said, hi, this is uh, Nicole Boehmer. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to uh, come to the job interview because I chose to become a squash professional. And How did they react? <laughs> And then the reaction was, well, Mrs. Nicole Boehmer, <laughs> you never have to come back to KLM and you, have never, you can never try again to apply for the job. What? <laughs> so, yeah. So I was in a huge shock. Yeah. So I hang up the phone and then I thought, oh, my God, what did I do? Yeah. Because now I have to tell my parents. And uh, so that was a bit shocking. But then I knew, well, I've, I, you know, I, I've done this. Now, now I have to, you know, pursue. Yeah. Before you met this Australian coach, were you coached by anyone or, or how did that go? It's difficult for me to exactly, because it's quite a while yeah. ago, but I think I did meet some coaches. So I did have, you know, there was an Irish coach, I think, and there was a guy from New Zealand. So there were some... All in I, the Netherlands. Yeah, they were all based in, in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, and I played like league for my club. And so the club coaches, so they had training. So I did get some training, but most of it I did on my own. And how did you get the knowledge to know how to improve physically, but also technically? Because usually a coach looks at you, how you play. And I think back in time, you didn't have video analysis or anything like that. Nothing like that. So how did you <laughs> no. do that? Well, I, I don't know how I did it. I did it by myself. I mean, I, I, I looked at squash players. I looked at matches. Uh, when there were at the club, because there was no video or no, no. laptop or yeah. there was nothing like that. You know, talking to people, but uh, mainly I just did it on my own and I went to the club every day after my work. There was nobody there, all courts were empty. There was just the, the girl behind the bar. And I was lonely on court and I was just hitting balls, just keep on hitting balls. And this is how I improved. And then by playing matches, you know, I started learning, you know, that I was losing. You know, I was, I, w I remember one match that I was 
in good shape. I was young. I wanted it very much, and uh, I felt like I'm, you know, a professional. And then I played an, an evening. I played a woman, and in my eyes, with all respect, but I thought, you know, this is like a housewife, and uh, she was a bit overweight, and she had a very awkward technique. And I played her, and and I I lost like three love. She hammered me, <laughs> and then I got really depressed and disappointed, of course. But then I thought, you know, I learned from that as well. You know, you you need to you, you need to use the height of the court, and I knew, you know, she showed me my weaknesses, and this is how I evolved. And I went to ask, and then I went maybe to, to coach and ask how I can improve. But it was still very much on my own. And how did you kept the motivation to keep improving and keep going back? Because it must must have been very lonely sometime on the court. Is my is what I assume. Maybe it's it's wrong, but yeah, I think in some way I've I probably was a loner. But I I knew that I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to hit the balls, and it kept me sane sort of I needed to go there it was like yeah it was pure love for the game a ritual almost yeah, yeah. it was like a lifestyle you mentioned the Australian coach uh, he inspired you to uh, become a professional squash player yeah is that when the goal came I think so but then yes I think that it it started there for sure and then uh, it made me also believe because he believed in me and he thought that there is a possibility. I started to really think about the idea more and more that I have a chance maybe to get better. And you know, and then I think I was about number eight in Holland at the time. So there were a few girls better than me and I was looking what they were doing and they were in the Dutch team and there was a Dutch national coach and they were traveling. And you weren't in the Dutch no, national team I yet? No, I wasn't okay. yet, yeah. And then they had an Australian coach. But then when I was about 18, 19 at that time, I I mean, the romance between the Australian, it was four days and I decided to become a squash professional. And after that, I don't think we had lots of contacts anymore. But later on in life, I met an, uh, uh, an Israeli guy and we had a, a very long relationship for about seven years, I think. And But he moved back to Israel and he asked me whether I wanted to come. And I thought, well, I want to travel and, uh, you know, maybe I'll have a look. So I went with him just for the holiday. And then I checked out the squash clubs in Tel Aviv. And there uh, they offered me a job as uh, coaching, the coaching the kids. And I could also train with the Israeli national team there. Oh. So I thought, well, you know, and I love the sun. <laughs> And I love this country, and I love the guy, so maybe uh, this is a good idea. So then I came home <laughs> to my mother and father, <laughs> and I said, well, <laughs> I'm going to Israel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how they dealt with me and everything, because, you know, but um, they let me go. And they also later on came to visit me. How did it change your uh, squash game in Israel, because you were able to practice with coaches there I is what I'm hearing from mm, you I was practicing mostly with the players okay and uh, and I did some coaching and I had a nice life and uh, so I continued doing that but I also 
so I sort of partly sort of let go a little bit of the achievements and uh, and and but I just played every day and I wasn't very busy with being the squash professional I, I had a new life now over there but it still stayed in the back of my mind so I decided that I wanted to come back every couple of times to the big tournaments in Holland where they choose uh, from your results whether you can make it to the Dutch team so mm -hmm. I went back to the nationals every year and uh, so it, it did stay half half and I think after two years uh, being there then I decided well I really want to go for squash now um, I want to go back and I, I want to try and, uh, and see if I can make Dutch team and how did that go well, then I went back again, and uh, so then we, we separated, and then uh, started back to training. Yeah, what happened is like, um, I didn't know how to really train properly or how to peak in the right moments. I mean, I trained and I trained and I trained, and I think that in I got like a peak moment in the summertime. So there was this big tournament in the summertime, but it was more of a social tournament, but all the national team players were there as well. And in that tournament, I beat some members of the national team. And I thought, you know, this is it. You know, I'm in it now. <laughs> and the national coach at that time, they were going end of the year to New Zealand to the World Championships. And I thought, you know, I must be selected now. Yeah. And were you? I wasn't. Oh, how did you deal with that? That was very difficult. And this was an Australian coach. It was called, his name was Barry Whitlock, and he didn't select me. He selected this girl that I beat. I was very disappointed. But then I, I found out, actually, that it made me feel that I wanted to come back stronger, that I will prove that I am better, and maybe this is not the right tournament. But, um, but I was really low. I mean, the girls all went to New Zealand, and... Uh, and I was stuck here alone again with the courts <laughs> and my job in Amsterdam. And uh, But I think later on I thanked him because he selected me the year after. I thanked him for not selecting me because it made me, my motivation so, um, yeah, it made me so motivated to come back and, and prove a point. And so the uh, year after you went to Worlds? Then I went to the, then I was selected for yeah. the Dutch team, yeah. yeah. And then it started, I started to, to go up the rankings to five, to three, and then to two. And then there was always one girl that was better than me. And she became six times national champion. And she was actually the first player. Her name was Babette Hogendorn. And she is the pioneer really of the Dutch squash going and traveling the world and she was the first squash professional. So you... And she was an example. Yeah, sure you wanted that too. I, I wanted I, that too, yeah. yeah. And did you? And I did. So the first goal was becoming you know, a member of the national team yeah. and then of course I became number two in Holland so every time I was in the finals of the national championships against her and then many times I was, I've played, I don't know how many finals, maybe four, four times. I did more, but against her, then in the beginning, four times. And then I remember also, you know, being too love up and then still losing in the end and feeling that I'm a better player. But I just could never manage and uh, it was very hard. 
And then she would go away again with a title, and then I was uh, number two again at home, and everybody telling me, ah, oh, yammer, yammer, <laughs> shame for you, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But then um, I just continued playing, and, uh, and then one big tournament that was called the, the Dutch Open, and the NCM, the Dutch Credit Company, was sponsor of that tournament and was her sponsor. And it was a big event, international players coming, and I had to play her again in one of the first rounds. In one of the first rounds? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, because now it was like yeah. an international yeah. tournament, so it was on a high, much higher level. And this is where I beat her the first time, and I never lost her to her again. <laughs> did that also, because you mentioned there was an international tournament, there were sponsors there, did yeah. it also help you in your like professional way? Like as a squash professional. Yeah, because when I I, got, I started to get more results, I'm not sure if that was that tournament, but I think in other tournaments, you know, I was reaching finals, and then you know there there was uh, the Amsterdam newspaper. They wrote a lot about squash. They wrote a lot about me because I was this Dutch Amsterdam player, and then I was in the uh, squash magazine. They had articles, and there was a big picture, and then I asked them. Um, could they write actually that my ambition is to become professional, like a world-class player, and I'm looking for a sponsor. So they, there was this big article with a big picture, and they wrote you know, that I was looking for a sponsor. And then one day after that article, I came really? home, and on my answering machine there was Venture Data, the company was called. And the director said, uh, I would like to invite you for dinner, I can bring somebody along and uh, I would like to sponsor you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so that was really cool. So yeah. I was really excited. So then your dream became true because then yes. you could actually live like a squash professional, yes. right? Yes, yes, because then I could start to travel and uh, and again, I, you know, I, somebody seeing me and believing in me and I mean, I was so on my own and this is what I know now. I mean, I go ahead, but it's very important that people believe in you and you feel like you you, you want to you know prove it and it gives you the the right motivation and of course financially that was really nice and because then you started traveling yes so we had a dinner i brought a girlfriend of mine and uh, we sat at the dinner table and he told me that he was going to give me a contract for a year and he said uh, you give me your bank account and tomorrow morning uh, nine o'clock you will have 20,000 guilders in your bank account wow <laughs> so i couldn't believe this no i can imagine <laughs> it's like you know what's yeah. happening yeah. and uh, so i was over the moon really and the next morning i had that money and he also said to me you can do whatever you like you can buy a car tomorrow or you can but I knew I, I will use it, you know, to travel and play tournaments. And he gave me a, a bonus contract as well. So every ranking that I would go up on the world ranking list, I would get like an amount of money. And, and the higher I would get, then it would be become bigger. So, so it became your next goal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then I think uh, that was in maybe end of summer. And then uh, I was a member already of the World Squash of the circuit. Then I bought my ticket and uh, with another Dutch player and we traveled for, first first trip was three months away from home. 
So How we was that? Three months away from yeah, home? Yeah, it was great. I gained a lot of weight when I got home <laughs> from the hotels <laughs> and eating those big breakfasts. Mm. Uh, so it, it was the first time, you know, being on the professional circuit. And, uh, but I loved it. I mean, I went to New Zealand. We were like six weeks in New Zealand. And then we went to Australia. We went to Singapore, Malaysia. And uh, we had a great time. It, it was fantastic. And I also had some good results. And I moved up actually then to number 18 in the world. Oh, wow. So that was, that was really good. If we move um, a bit further in time, uh, you told me when we previously spoke that after all, like the traveling and the good results, you had, you had a bit of a setback with your Achilles. Yeah, that was in 92. I was Dutch champion, I was a professional now, uh, I had been number one in Holland for two years and then I remember that we were selected for the Dutch team and I had traveled, I was away from home already, you know, six weeks or so for some tournaments and then I came back and then they planned the world championships in Vancouver and they had like in that time it was individual world championship and then right after you would have the team event. Okay. So you would be away at least for three weeks and then the national coach at that time also wanted uh, another two weeks I think for us to play and prepare for uh, another tournament in Victoria Island and uh, so this was before I ruptured my Achilles, but this was leading up to it. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't want to leave again for that long because I'd just been away and uh, I wanted to stay at home. I had some reasons for wanting that. So I said to him, well, uh, I'm not going, I'm going to come to the world's individual and the team event, but I do not want to join the team before. So he said to me, well, then you're not selected. So. I was thrown out of the team there, or I put myself out actually. I had a chance to do it, but I didn't want to do it. So I didn't go. So I, I went on um, behalf of, of myself, so I went only for that week for the individuals and I played really well. And then the week after I left back to Holland, but the Dutch team my, my players, they were still there playing for, and they had a really good result. I think they became number four in the world with the team. That was oh, the wow. best result ever. And I wasn't there, I wasn't part of it. So I didn't feel good when, you know, after the summer they came back and then we had the first tournament in November in The Hague. And this was the first time I saw, you know, the other players. And in squash, it's like an individual sport. You don't actually show your vulnerabilities to the other players. And then on the other hand, you're also traveling with them and you play in a Dutch team with them. Then you are together, but it's, you know, you cannot really open up. And, uh, but I felt really awkward and um, I felt that I've let them down. I don't know. I, I knew I just didn't feel, I could feel that I, 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 I didn't feel good. And then I played the tournament and I think I was too love up or something and I was warm and my opponent plays a shot to the front. I try and pick it up and I couldn't move and with a lot of force I tried to get to the ball and then uh, I, it, uh, I felt a snap in my oh. leg and I just dropped down on the floor and I knew immediately 
that it was bad, bad news. Did you think it was the end of your career when it happened? No, I never thought it was the end of my career, but I knew at that time that I, it happened because of everything that I knew it happened because of uh, something that was going on mentally. And that I also was somehow relieved because I felt that I also needed a break to sort of sort out my life again and get things straight. And, Did you uh, feel like when you were recovering from your Achilles injury, was it because you said on one hand it was positive and on one hand you had like a, a tough time mentally? Yes. Which way did it lean towards when you actually had to recover? Well, that was very difficult. That was very difficult because not so much that I didn't think I would come back. I was very much living in the moment. Actually, when I had my plaster on, um, I was still coaching. Uh, I was still hitting balls and I was, was you know, coaching my students. But it was only when the plaster came off after six weeks, I felt like I couldn't even walk. No. And then I had to go through physio and rehabilitation. How did it make you feel that you couldn't play? Well, in the beginning it was a bit of a shock that it was so bad that I had no muscle and that I, I just could not walk. With the plaster I could do everything, I just couldn't run. But I could still, you know, be there and move. But now it, it felt like, you know, this is a bit of a way back. But I had really good physio, which my father always paid for, actually. So I was guided there, so that was good. And I learned a lot from those physios as well. Like? Um, how to train. Uh, they, they helped me mentally uh, to keep me motivated, uh, to keep me positive. Um, after a treatment, you know, if I would be in tears, you know, I had a friend, they were, they were my team and they were going to help me to get better. So um, That's what helped you through Oh, the, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Without them, uh, yeah, you, you always need people. Yeah. You cannot do it on your own. Definitely. But you didn't get help from the uh, Dutch national team, for example. No. Not really, no. I never thought about that also. And I know that other players sometimes complained about there was no help from, you know. But I never expected it also. I knew it was just not there. Now I think about it differently. And also in the big scheme of what's going on in the world with mental health and the Olympians and America, you think, yeah, well, you know, they, they take a lot of advantage or enjoy the top sporters, but as people, they don't really take care of them. So I did it uh, with my physios and with my own team, and, uh, and then I, I recovered. And, uh, but I remember that one day I was at the club in my plaster and I sat at the bar and before I always had you know, a personality or I am somebody, I'm a squash player and I'm traveling the world and people always asking me about things. But now I was nobody. <laughs> and, and then I got to the bar and I was some young people my age on the bar sitting, they just played squash and we had a little conversation and this girl was telling me about that she had studied and she was working and she was traveling and, and this was the first time that I thought, wow, you know, those other people have a life and they, they you know, they travel and they, she is, has a lot of energy and uh, this was a bit difficult. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly I, I was... Because you didn't belong in both worlds. No, 
I said, who am I now? Yeah. You know, and where is everybody? <laughs> yeah. So that was a bit hard. Yeah. How is that difficult? We're, we're taking a jump in time again to your back injury, which you had a bit later on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because I had... Um, was that a different kind of experience compared to your Achilles injury? Yes, because the back injury I had one week before the national championships. I was training and I played like a, a match play preparation. And in that game, I wanted to hit a ball. And when I hit the ball, I felt like a huge Z or like a, a whip of whiplash in my back. And uh, so I went off and I just couldn't move anymore. I just was bent over and uh, so long story short, I, I went to hospital and then I went to, to rehab and then actually the physios got me back on court the next week. Oh wow. Which was amazing. Yeah. But I should never have played because I think this was the worst tournament I've ever played. I was not ready for this at all. And then after, for about three months or so, the recovery didn't really make any progress. I went to physio, but every time I felt when I hit balls, my back felt like solid, like a, like a rock. And there was no flexibility in it. And I also felt that uh, the physio, the massage was not helping. It was not doing anything for me. And this is where I thought, um, I cannot play anymore. Really? Yeah. That must be devastating. That was really difficult. So then I, I didn't know what to do. And then, and that was the first time I, I uh, got in contact with a, a, a sports psychologist. And that was Jan Huibers. So uh, I've never been to a sports psychologist. And uh, so I, I went to him and we went for a walk outdoor. And uh, so I told him what was happening. And uh, and his answer to me, I mean, after a few sessions, was that um, he said, well, if the treatments is not helping you, then you should stop and something will come up. Well, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, it was very tough because I had, like, my whole career, I had been working with this physio. Yeah. And he was like, you know, he was my coach and mentor and friend and helper. And he knew everything about me. And uh, and now suddenly I had to break with him. And I also felt really, not, I didn't know what else. What And now it, 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 that wouldn't solve the problem. Huge leap of faith, basically. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, I did. I did stop the treatment and uh, I told him that, uh, that I told him the story that I went to the that I needed a break and and see what's happening. So I think a few weeks later at the squash club I spoke to uh, one squash player and who happened to be a physio. Um, really nice guy and I told him the story. I said, well, you know, uh, I can still teach and so, but I cannot play anymore and uh, in my back. And I told him the story. And he said to me, well, you know, why don't you come over to Hofdorp? This is where I have my practice in the squash club and uh, maybe we can have a look. And, uh, and just as friends. And we became good friends. And he was really special guy, really broad-minded. And uh, I like to be around him and... So I went there every day and we started to do rehabilitation and started really with 
really small exercises for like a squash professional would be like really like they're so stupid I thought how can this ever help me it was like sitting down and and you know doing like really small movements just in order so that my back injury and the memory of what happened in my body was like to show my body that it's okay to make these movements and then slowly but surely then to improve and so it I went Yes, we and and I learned so much from him. I learned about training, about uh, uh, warming up, about cooling down, about uh, uh, movement, uh, about how to peak. Uh, everything. So you got all the all the good knowledge. You all got the from knowledge. Him. I got all the knowledge from him, and I and I got back. So that was was great. I learned so much from him. Yeah. So then I continued. I came back to the circuit, and I was. Till I think number two, I was in the Dutch team, and at that time I think then there was a younger player that was 12 years younger than me that was already on the scene before, started to make big improvements, and the other ones they just kept on playing. So, but I was still a Dutch team, and I made it to the finals of Dutch championships, but I didn't win anymore. Okay. Yeah. And was that okay for you? Well, I would have wanted to win, yeah. <laughs> but um, but it, you still. I think that the, the younger player that later on that was Vanessa Atkinson, later on, she you know she passed us all, and uh, she also became world champion in the end. Oh, yeah. So she she actually you know did the best. So it wasn't a shame to losing uh, to her. Um, I was already like 30 by now, 31, and I could also feel. You know that my recovery was slower, and uh, I still had great matches. Could you still enjoy it? Yes, I loved it, and what helped was that at the end of my career, I think 29 or 30 after my injury, then the Dutch Federation got a new national coach, and he is the legend of squash and the father of squash, which was Jonah Barrington. Everybody knows him in the squash scene. And he became national coach, and and I met him, and I I just loved him, and he was such a good coach, and and not only on court but off court, and you know helping you how to to deal with all the pressures and how to deal with life, and it was like a like a father figure really. So I had my one of my best years actually with him. I played uh, with him in the Dutch team with other girls. I did really well. I had some really good results then. So the last four years, until 34, I did really well. And at some point, you decided to quit. Yes. Was that an easy decision for you? Um, mm, I think, yeah, because I was 34, I felt that I could not motivate myself anymore for little league matches or And at the last Dutch Championship final, this is where I made the decision. I played against Vanessa. There was on center court in Frans Otto Stadium in Amsterdam, and there were about 800 people. It was full. Finals were on, and um, we went on first game. And she hammered me like big time in the first game, and I felt like, oh my God, I I don't want to lose like this and this way and. Uh, I, my body doesn't want to move. I was 34 then. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make a fool out of myself. So I really dig deep to, you know, to 
fight and to run and to get balls back. And then I think um, in the end, I think I lost 3-1 or 3-2. I got a game. I did make a fool out of myself. I did well, but I felt like it had to come from so deep. I thought, this is it. I don't want to be here anymore. And then, I, and then I think I decided I stop and I think I played a team event in Germany where we played really well. But this is where I decided this is my last tournament. And that must I, be really tough. Yeah, it was. Or were you at peace, like, or yeah, with it, with the decision, like? I think I was at peace. Did yeah. you feel accomplished or fulfilled in your sports career? I think so. At the time, yeah. At the, th- I, I don't think I thought about that, but I thought of. I knew it's time to stop. I don't want to do that anymore. And what happened after? Because you had a lot of free time, I can assume. I never and thought about it. No. And, um, so it hit you? Yes, because um, I still played squash, of course, but um, um, I did not know what I wanted to do. How can I find the same passion and uh, concentration and the motivation to, to do something? Um, so my mother was painting and um, she did some arts and she told me, why don't you pick up a course as well? And um, we have a little cat interruption here. <laughs> <laughs> She's going after the, the mic wires. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. So, um, where were we? <laughs> um, I think we were talking about that your mom was doing oh, yeah. arts. Yeah. yeah. So, I went to uh, art class twice a week. I did some sculpture and I did some drawing. And I'm creative, so I liked it. It was relaxing, and uh, and she thought, you know, as as long as you relax, you know, something will come up. So then I enjoyed it so much, the painting, and I felt like there's something in there that has something like what I have in squash. It's like I think this pure concentration, and just forgetting about myself and really being, yeah, forgetting about yourself. This is what I felt when I was playing squash. Just. And also while doing art. While doing art as well, yeah. That's beautiful. So then um, there was this academy in uh, Amsterdam, but I I wasn't talented in in drawing. I had some feel for color, but I was not a good drawer. And I could see it because, you know, there were other (laughs) people that could do much better than me. Yeah. But I didn't care. I mean, I also liked it in a way because now it was like, you know, I'm not like the number one or the champion or everybody's asking you. Now I came... So there's no pressure. There was no pressure. Now it came, I'm from... The other ones are better than me and I can be anonymous. But it also didn't always feel good because I felt like I'm really bad at it. But it's such a contrast to, yes, to yeah. both. But I thought it was good for me. I mm. thought it is interesting to see what it's... Yeah, I wanted to see, I learn. oh wow, yeah, you are not uh, the best, so who are you now? Did it help you to develop your identity? Because you said, who are you now? Did it help you to create an identity beside of squash? Well, it surely made me think about it, yeah. Yeah. And I think I've already learned throughout my career that when we were, we had a time that, that uh, the Dutch Olympic Committee, 
they uh, they sponsored uh, uh, the the Dutch players with a Olympic car, an Audi 80, and we got some money. So um, this was great. So mm -hmm. we came to Papendal, and then uh, we were all with the Olympic sports people, and everybody got a car, like an Audi, and I never had such a, you know, and with Olympic rings and uh, really flashy. So. So I, we went to pick up the car, and I remember that I was driving up to Dickes to train, and then um, I drove up with this big Audi with the, all these Olympic rings, and I noticed that people were approaching me differently. Oh, how so? In the sense of, uh, maybe that was my interpretation mm -hmm. of what I felt, but I felt like they're, they're never asking, it's not Nicole or me, or it's it's more what I represent. It's like a squash player and uh, so results. your personal brand yeah, it's is like, what they were interested yeah. in and not and you car, as a person. Yeah. And, uh, so the image yeah. that I portrayed, but so not better, me. Yeah. There was a big lesson as well because, and there was one lesson I thought that that's really strange actually, that people are you know, looking at the image of somebody and don't go for the person. And what I also learned in that when I was coaching a lot at the club, I remember I got lots of people on my court, coaching them, and these were people from everywhere. These were CEOs from big companies, policemen, from all different walks of life. And also once I got Prince Bernard on court. Really? Yes. That must be so special. Yes, it was very special because, you know, this is Prince Bernard and he's, you know, like, uh, uh, well, he's not the king, but, you know, it looks like the king. <laughs> but it was the same kind of thing, like me arriving in the Audi and him, you know, being Prince Bernard. And when I was on court with him and he was in shorts, like me, and he just could not hit a ball, he looks to me like, well, not a loser, but, you know, I felt very confident with him because I could just be me and and he was, you know, maybe a king, but, uh, you know, he, he could not hit balls. So I could teach him something. So it felt like we were equal. And this is what I learned from my career and helped me throughout my life. Is that where you, um, we're doing a, a step in time again, is that where you got the idea for your own company that you have right now? Well, I didn't get the idea for my company there, but I, I, it definitely helped me because it gave me, um, and later I was also a national coach, so it's really, yeah. you know, yeah. skipping something, yeah. but it helped me to feel confident and not be uh, afraid to go and meet the CEO of a big company. And help others. And, and yeah, and ask, ask them, you know, do you want to do an event with me or can I... I was not impressed. I mean, I was impressed by the people and what they can do and, and because of who they are, but it wasn't too big a step that it would hold me back. And this is what I learned from my career, I think. Being in the picture and just, you know, just be me. What other things do you... Um that you learn throughout your career that you use right now in your own company? Well, I think that sports is, you know, the biggest connector between people. Um, so? I don't know how it works, but um, they always say it's like sport connects, but um, it's really true. It's like um, 
when I think of my career, I mean, I don't really think about results or titles or anything like this. And I'm also in a very small sport, so it doesn't mean a lot. But it's more about the connection I made with the people and all the people I've met through different walks of life and all over the world. And still today we are in contact and it's just, you know, you're sweating together and you are experiencing something together and, and it bonds you in a different way. And this is what I do with my, uh, with my company. Yeah. You and bring people together through sports. Yes, empower them through sports. That's where I'm at now. Yeah, yeah. And some life lessons from sports. You know, we have some themes in the events. And I also do it with my health coaching. Use, you know, lessons, life lessons learned through sport. And it's inspiring uh, for people in general. Yeah. So, but this is a big thing. It's it's uh, connecting people, and especially now after Corona, this is a very good time also to you know bond people again together. We're all going to go hybrid, and we've been away from each other. So, this is what uh, I'm busy with now. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Do you have some things, maybe characteristics or habits that you learned? throughout your sports career that you still have right now? Can be positive, can be maybe negative or? I think I'm quite proactive, very active. <laughs> I also think that sports is very important for me to keep sane. I need to move, uh, need to be busy in my body. And I think this is for everybody and for the right balance. And sport is healthy. So this is definitely one thing that's been there throughout my whole life. I think I'm an achiever as well. Yeah, those things I, I take in my life today. We talked about um, passion and having a passion for squash and later on you found that you refound that passion in arts. Would you say that having your own company kind of replaces the the passion you had for for squash, or how would you describe that? Because um, you were you were saying that you were looking for something yeah. to replace it with. Yeah. Well, that's a very difficult thing, and I think maybe even today, you know, I still struggle with that, and I'm I'm not sure whether other athletes struggle with it too. I'm thinking about it sometimes. Is whether what it is that. You know, you do in sports or high athletes do, and it's this hyper focus that they have. And they, you know, I've not been to Olympics, but the Olympians that they are, even more so. You know, four years to this one day. Um, I, my whole life was also this hyper focus and forgetting about yourself. This is something that you cannot find easily in the normal. Worlds, let's no, say. I, I recognize that. You recognize yes, that, yeah. I do, yeah. And it's only that lately I have discovered that, 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 or to give words to it, about to the feeling. But I think it's connected to that. It's that hyper focus and being able to forget yourself. And, and I, I, today, I, I am much older, but today it's like with my company, what I like is I do still coaching. Professional squash coaching. squash coaching, but I've also gone outside with people during the COVID because I couldn't coach. So I did uh, sort of 
CrossFit uh, physical training. Um, in my company, I do sports events, and I started to pick up paddle as squash was closed and this was outdoors. And I like this game very much. It's a racket, it's a ball. I like tennis. I, I realized during COVID, I love to be outside and work work out outdoors. And I actually like all different sports or just being active and playing. And this is a nice thing because it's not anymore one sport and squash. And squash is also physically very tough. You need to be very strong and fit in order to play the sport. And paddle and, te- and tennis too, but... You know, in a different way. In a different I don't... With squash, I know how good I was. I know I can never achieve it again, so it's sometimes frustrating, though I still enjoy it. can imagine. And I still have my network, but it's my work, and I... And I okay, I, lo- I love it still. The game is a great game. I love to watch the matches. So COVID actually helped you realize what you truly love? Uh, for sure, it's like, yeah, it, 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 it had to open up my mind more and I can see that I like sport and different sports and games and that it connects people. And then and I went to study during COVID because everything was closed. And I thought maybe I have to, you know, maybe learn more about my skills. And, and I thought, yeah, health, how important it is and... And then sort of a whole field started opening up about well-being and about mental health and about holistic health and about mindfulness. And uh, so I dive into all of those things. And then I thought, hmm, this is really nice because I didn't study. Yeah. I learned everything from the street, but now I'm, I'm studying and I'm in the class and I'm learning new things. And, and I love it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you think back about your whole career, um, would you give yourself some advice at a certain age, certain point in time, can be different times? If I will give myself an advice, I would definitely say that it would have been, it's good always to find, I think, a coach or a mentor or somebody that can help you. Yeah, that you have to to, to speak up and, and, and there are people that can help you and guide you and I've done a lot on my own and I think, uh, and not and not so even in like only achieving like better results but you know, having, because it was such a lonely path, mm-hmm. you know, to create more, yeah, support and uh, I think today as well, it's important for everyone. All, we all need, you know, a team or a mentor or a parent or a brother or a friend or a coach. And especially in, you know, in a, in a specific field, you need people that have the expertise and that can help you to yeah, bring out the best in you. So this I would advise for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank for you. For telling your story. Thank you. It was yeah. lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
During the podcast, Nicole talks about her passion for coaching athletes and high achievers towards a balanced and healthy performance, as well as organizing events with their own business team power and power through sports. But she also was the head coach for the Dutch national team for several years. And with her team, she won multiple medals. For more information, you can visit her new website, www.teampower.nl. This podcast was created, hosted, edited and produced by Annelette Bakker and the music is We Are Free by Ixen.